Everybody, welcome back to another episode of Mind the Music. And today I will be talking with Natalie from the House Gospel Choir. And Natalie is a vocalist, a songwriter, a producer, and for the past seven years, founder and creative director of the Mighty House Gospel Choir. And today she will share experiences um, and advice for women and female identifying people of color on how to cope with double standards in dance music. So welcome, Natalie. I'm so happy that you're here. Thank you so much for having me, Eileen. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, I'm just really like, first and foremost, before we dive in, I'm just really so happy that you want to join this conversation. I've never had a conversation like this before. I mean, not publicly, like not for radio or, yeah. or just, you know, publicly. So yeah. I just really want to appreciate, tell you how much I appreciate um, you for wanting to join and for wanting to share. Um, and just, yeah, thank you so much for, for doing this and for making yourself available for this. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks <laughs> for having me. <laughs> so how about we start with just an introduction? Tell me a little bit more about you. Who is Natalie? Oh gosh, I am um, a girl from Brixton in South London. Um, if anyone knows about Brixton, it's kind of one of the most like densely populated areas like where a lot of uh, uh, black people and especially Caribbeans and Afro-Caribbeans Afro came and settled here um, after World War II, after um, 
the call to the Commonwealth for uh, their citizens to come and settle here. So my grandparents came and soon sent for my mum. And so yeah, I'm like second generation um, British born Jamaican. And yeah, and I just, I love music. I think that's the starting point of all of this. I love music and I absolutely love people and meeting new people um, and getting closer to old friends. So um, yeah, that's kind of my motivation, you know, like I love singing, I love raving and um, yeah, any opportunity I can get to do those things um, and use all of my skills, then um, I'm up for it. <laughs> so yeah. Awesome, sounds so good. And so can you tell me a little bit more about how you've come to be the founder and creative director of um, the House Gospel Choir? Mm. Um, it was just this calling, like I just, I really, it was just a vision I had of like some of my favorite nights out and just wanting to experience that a bit more. I, I, I'd always wanted to work in music and I kind of, I started off as a songwriter and a singer and doing spoken word and poetry and stuff. But I, I kind of fell out of love with it really quickly because I, I don't, don't think I have, and this is not a, like in a bad way, I don't think I have enough ego like to just want to keep pushing myself um, mm. as a solo artist. Um, and that didn't resonate with me, but the music did and getting to understand the business a bit more did. So I went into music education and events management and yeah, ended up doing tour managing. And the more I worked in music, the less I got to enjoy it. Like I'll, I'll just be honest, I was doing lots of really cool tours with jazz musicians and, and big ensembles and things. I was just like, oh, when am I gonna like really just enjoy this again? Mm -hmm. So, um, I very fortunately uh, just, I just, you know, I did actually, I just, I sent an e um, a Facebook message to this producer I really liked called um, Bopstar um, at the time. And I just said, if you need any vocalists or anything, I'd love to be on your records. He had this tune called Captured with an amazing jazz singer here called Zara McFarlane. Oh yeah, yeah, I know her. Wicked tune, wicked tune. And I was just like, oh, I want to work with this guy. And we made this song called Selfish Skies that did really, really like well in South Africa. Um, and I got to do this mini tour there in 2011. And I was just like, this is what I'd been missing. Um, and it was, it was always about collaborating and um, being with other people. And so even though I was singing by myself on the record, it wasn't just me pushing it, promoting it, spending all my money on the studio, you know, everything that goes along with really trying to push a solo career. Um, and just just being there and, and being in SA and, and the way they rave there, the way they love the music, I just was like, this is it. I want to go home and feel like this more. So that that's essentially what I did when I got back. I called a few of my friends that I've sung with in the past and mm. asked them if they'd be up for it. And they said yes. And there was about 12 of us in this first rehearsal. Um, and this was seven years ago, right? This is seven years ago, yeah. Oh my gosh. And then because of uh, where I'd been tour managing, I was asked if, um, if I knew any choirs that would perform at Glastonbury. And I was like, oh, um, yeah, you know, I think I know a choir. <laughs> I think I know a choir, but they do house music. Is that all right? Like specific yeah. house music? And they were like, yeah, but it's it's traditionally a gospel slot. Slot. And I was like, well, the sound is the sound is very gospel. It's a very gospel approach to singing these records. So, so our first gig was Glastonbury, <laughs> and we oh had God, that's amazing. Um, twelve weeks to pull this show together, Oof. and we managed to do it. And we've just been going ever since. So a bit audacious, a bit brave, a little bit of. Uh, twisting the truth slightly. Yeah. I think we'd only had one rehearsal at that point. And, uh, yeah, and it just, it worked. It just worked, awesome. so. That is such a great story, oh my gosh. <laughs> that is amazing, I love it. And so how many people are you now? Because you said you started out with 12, so how many are you now? So all together in the, like the white, the, so the choir as a performing act is mm -hmm. about 25 people. And every year I train up to 20, 25 more people to um to kind of like a professional level to be able to perform the show because it's quite an intense thing to it's it's the show is essentially a live dj set right so it's a 90 minute show of jumping around while singing wow that's <laughs> and, really intense. Like, but, yeah it's really intense so it takes a lot of work to be good enough to do that so there is like a professional level or semi-professional group of vocalists that that do this um 
but our wider community it's probably about 150 people wow um, beyond that we do um this thing once a month well we haven't been able to do it since february because of the old covid <laughs> um but we do this thing called mass um which is called mass choir at, in um the space we rehearse in in uh, yeah. shoreditch and you can buy a ticket and just come and be part of the choir awesome. once a month and it's wicked it's in the club space so you're singing like like your favorite house songs in tune and it doesn't matter if you're not great because it's that feeling of you know being in the club the lights yeah. are low you've got a drink you're not feeling like everyone's looking at you you're not performing necessarily but you're part of this experience yeah um, so, so i'd say i mean over the year we've been running that we've had about a thousand guests pass through oh there God. i can so imagine that must really appeal to so many people because i remember you shared something with me before we had this talk about how you know if we all I think, wait, let me just quickly, because I want to say it right. We can all speak at the same time and have our voices heard, but we can sing together as one voice and be understood. Definitely. So I feel like when people come to such an event, it, it feels like that for them because they feel understood. Yeah, I, imagine. I, re I really think so. Um, it's one of it, you know, that it can, there's obviously lots of, lots more proof coming out about why singing and dancing together is good for you on a mental health perspective and on the physical, um, you know, and not just for the joy of raving, but also just like even, you know, psychologically what it does for you. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, you know, I can kind of testify to that because I, I lost my mum a year after I started House Gospel Choir. No, and, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, thank you, thank you. Um, and it was a really hard time and I pretty much just kind of shut down doing everything, but I still went to rehearsals on a Monday night and, um, there was something really powerful about sitting next to someone else and singing the same harmony as them and seeing how that fit into the whole song. Mm -hmm. And so it's like I, I had a place, even though I felt like this real disconnection to everything that I knew to be true up until that point because I didn't have my anchor anymore. Um, singing in that way was just like, oh, I fit in somewhere. I, I have a home, I have a, you know, I can be part of something and I can I can add to making this thing better and yeah so it's it's beautiful. really really healing in a way yeah that's really yeah. beautiful yeah I think that's the thing that drew me to the dance music community in the first place like mm. kind of finding a place to escape to but also to belong to because yeah. you know that's one of the basic human needs we want to yeah. belong and we want to feel loved and that's what you look for in a community, right? Totally, like, totally, yeah. totally. <laughs> totally yeah. Beautiful. So uh, I want to talk of, that's the topic of today, is double standards in, in uh, dance music, but specifically uh, for black women and women or female identifying persons of color. Um, because I think when we talk about double standards um, in dance music or just in general, I feel like we're always automatically talking about discrimination based on gender mm. and I feel like we don't talk enough about the the discrimination based on race and then also I want to dive a bit deeper into that like even based on um, colorism like how you know what what your the tone of your skin is actually mm. determining in terms of what your success will be in dance music yeah. that's something yeah. that I want to touch upon as well but so Firstly, let's like first things first, I would love to hear from you in a way that feels comfortable for you, of course. Um, if you know you want to share any experiences around um, double standards that you have seen or that you have experienced yourself um, in dance music so far. Well, I think I think the, the double standard kind of starts with the fact that I love house music and I love dance music, um, but I always knew the name of the producer and the DJ and never the vocalist who actually essentially that's who i was kind of attract what that's what attracted me the beat yes the the baseline yes i love baselines i live for that rumble in a speaker um but that that voice that moment in a song which like just takes you somewhere um and i just always struggled to find out who is singing this record or and then you'd find the name maybe but then there was no press on that artist or there was no and it's just like, how can someone, it's clearly that person's gift, a bit of their soul on this record that is moving us, but they they get no recognition in that. And I think, I think as much as, um, because 
house music in particular, it has a tradition of using these amazing black female, specifically American voices and, and from the gospel canon. Um, it was just the fact that you could very rarely find out who that was and that bothered me. Mm -hmm. um, so when, when we first started doing the sets, I really researched that. I wanted to know who Barbara Tucker was. I wanted to know who Lolita Holloway was. I wanted to know who Martha Wash was. I wanted to know who, you know, like I, I wanted to know more about Crystal Waters. Like Gypsy Woman is one of the biggest records of all time. And even though her name was on the, the record, you have no idea that she, that Crystal Waters and Ultra Nate are also producers and songwriters. And these are, you know, so it's just like the, the amount of people that contribute to making a record great, making some of my favorite songs amazing, were just kind of left off the credits in a way. And I always thought it was odd that you get these amazing, and let's just take nothing away from the producer or the DJ, but they're touring the world and I can see them in New York or Ibiza or London, but I never see the person singing. And that was odd to me because I always grew up loving the vocalist, you know? Yeah. Um, so that in itself was something I really felt keen to rectify. Um, so when we first started doing the shows, we we made a point of saying the person's name, you know, talking about what year the song was came out, um, which so many people don't. And I don't know why why in house music it is that way because it's not it's not that way for any other genre. Like I was creative. going to ask you that. Yeah. Like, yeah. Why do you think that is? Because I mean, yeah, I I, I think it's like there's something. I mean, it's, it's commercial, isn't it? It's about money, it comes down to money. And I think the practicalities of touring, actually, um, you can maximize your profit if you've just got a DJ. Uh, whereas like bringing a full band on tour is a very different consideration. Yeah, bringing the vocalist on tour. Yeah. No, I'm just saying from that perspective. So like yeah. it, even at its, its introduction, it's just like this, if this is something that you can pack away and just transport around the world in a very easy way and that would be fine if you talked about what it was you were transporting around the world but you don't you just kind of turn up and pull open your your cd box and act like everything in it comes from you and it it's just not true is it it's just not yeah honest. and to not to not even be mentioned in the first place in yeah. many cases yeah. like as you just said you you look up these tracks and you're like wait who, who is the singer and wh yeah. where can I find her name? Yeah. Like, you know. And also the songwriters, because a lot of the time, especially <laughs> yeah. in house music, and I know this, I started going to studios when I was about 14, like just friends of friends. Oh, can you, uh, my friend can sing, can she come and sing on this record or whatever? And it was, it was cool, it was fun, it was exciting, but I was turning up and making up songs. You know, I was turning up and coming up with ideas and the lyrics and the melodies were mine. They weren't. But, and then, you know, on, a, on more than one occasion, I heard that song on the radio or I heard it um, somewhere else and it just didn't, <laughs> I just, yeah, you just never hear anything else about it. Um, yeah. And being that, that age, um, it took me a long time to kind of be able to call the producer back and be like, what happened with that record? Or is it ever coming out? Yeah, I've had some really dodgy situations like that you know um yeah. but there's just this real sense that once a singer's done their bit there's just no more conversation to be had and it's just it's just wrong yeah you know it's just wrong so we've we've tried our best to remedy some of that i'm not i'm not a massive one for like talking i, I like i mean i'm like quite practical so i identify a problem and then get on with solving it like we can i think that there are people doing amazing work highlighting the issues and talking about it. And from time to time, I do engage in the conversation. But like, I know what the, the issues are, especially as a vocalist and songwriter myself. Yeah. Um, so I set up a vocal agency and I set up a choir that always talks about these artists. And I reached out to these artists. And when we cover their records, we, we go and find out who their publishers are, who wrote the song. We mm -hmm. ask permission, you know, the reason we have a, a, a relationship with Crystal Waters and Barbara Tucker is because we went to them directly and just said, we love your song. Um, this yeah. is this is why we exist. And thank you. <laughs> the first oh is just God. saying thank you, right? Um, yeah. To these people that I never thought in a million years I'd, I'd be able to speak to. That must um, have been so amazing for them as well, I think. Oh, oh gosh, I, I mean, don't know. come on, like, I yeah. don't know, you know. I hope so, I hope so, because, and we've been really fortunate. I met Crystal Waters backstage at a festival here Mm -hmm. um, 
and I just I couldn't resist the opportunity just to give her like I gave her one of our, our jackets <laughs> just said like please just thank you and um yeah so we, we're doing our bit to rectify some of that and I'm not sure if you've seen any of our um acapella videos yeah um, I browsed through the website when you sent me the information yeah <laughs> so so that was we only we started doing that because of lockdown we couldn't get together and rehearse so we figured out how to use this app and then use some editing software and then yeah. bounce the tracks back into logic to get a good back it, it's been a lot of work and it wouldn't have been possible without um my musical director and dj his name is harrison and he's incredible mm-hmm. um so we basically figured out how to do this thing yeah and I think because of the tone of this year with Black Lives Matter and everything else that's been going on, all of the protests, the election in America. Um, it's been a lot. Yeah, it's been, and Corona. Just, oh. you know, just for good measure, let's just add a pandemic on yeah. top of all of that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it, it was every week when we came to choose what song we wanted to cover or um, like having this dream of working with a particular artist, being able to reach out to them and then say yes in this time was just mind blowing, you know? And what we found very quickly is that there's all of these, and, and specifically black female vocalists and songwriters. Um, so we've worked with Ultranate, Crystal Waters, Beverly Knight. Um, oh my God, legends. Who else? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's amazing. It's me, my brain's gone blank. And then the ones we couldn't work with, like we did Carry On by Martha Wash and we couldn't get in contact with her. Um, but we made sure in the credits, in the caption, we talk about those people. Um, we did Red Alert by Basement Jacks and make sure we reference the original vocalist, even though we got to work with Vula on that version. Um, so mm-hmm. there's just, just, it's just like we have to give these women their flowers whilst they're here, whilst they can still smell them and just right some of those wrongs. And what we found actually is that people are really interested to know who sings these records. It was never an issue of whether people didn't care mm. about who sings the song, who wrote the song. They do care. They do care. And we're watching like that the the when they repost the video as well, like people get excited about hearing a choir version of their their favorite songs. And it's yeah. it's just been incredible. So I'm like I said, like I'm solutions focused and mm-hmm. um, and on the days that I don't feel capable of finding a solution, I definitely sit here and cry. I'm not gonna lie to you. It's been can I swear? Yeah, you can. <laughs> it's been fucking horrendous some days. Like, mm-hmm. honestly, watching watching the news, seeing what's happening, feeling what's happening, identifying with what's happening, um, and just trying to continue to be a remedy to those things um, yeah. when and where we can. And it's not been easy to galvanise you know 25 members of a choir on a week where all we want to do is like sleep and probably cry a bit and figure yeah. out how we're going to pay our rent um yeah we all found a way to get together and and like try and just bring some light into the situation and at the same time elevate those voices of those women that and those men that have created this music that we love that's really um, a lot of things to juggle at the oh, same yes. time whilst finishing off the album and <laughs> delivering that. And, yeah, but, I mean, that's um, all good stuff, but obviously, yeah. you know, with everything yeah. that's happened and this kind of like rude awakening, which mm. I think is a good thing. Yeah. But for the black community, it's just all the pain and all the yeah. anger and all the, the injustice. And it, it's like, it's all rushing out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I can imagine people like me and like white people probably asking many, many questions in oh, yes. times where you're like, please not now. Like yeah. I want to rest, you know, yeah. like I want to yeah. grieve. I want to be, be left at peace now. I can mm-hmm. imagine. I mean, I had many of my friends, um, you know, black people who mm-hmm. I reached out to and said like, I'm just reaching out just to let you know that like, I love you. Yeah. And just like, if you want me to leave you alone, yeah, I'm I'm totally cool with that, yeah. obviously. But yeah. just you know, you just want to ask if you're okay at least. Mm. And that that's really do. powerful. I think that's one of the most the best things I found about this time because at, at yeah. House Gospel Choir, obviously, we're coming from a tradition of gospel music, which mm. is um, in terms of that the, the canon. It's like for me, lots of people ask 
oh, how did you come up with the idea of how gospel got? Like, I didn't come up with the idea. Gospel voices, gospel harmonies, gospel melodies have always been present in house music. Um, and house music was created by the children of those people that went to church. Like it's just, mm. it's that simple. Mm. And um, that history, that that lineage has just been obscured over time. Like mm. we're, we're here in the UK and we get kind of the idea that dance music is David Getter on one side in a modern sense and yeah, uh, sister you know, wild white male yeah yeah like three white guys that went to Ibiza <laughs> and discovered this sound and brought it back to the UK and it's bollocks yeah absolute bullshit like music house music dance music acid all of that was being sold yeah. in black record shops techno. in the UK techno everything it was coming out of the black communities and it, and it went back around and there's so there's no harm it's a unifying sound it's an uplifting music it's for everybody but what is the harm in like just telling the fucking truth about where it comes from you know like and being honest about that and it really winds me up you know mm. that then we come to we come full circle and we have young black musicians and song songwriters and singers who are like oh i don't make house music don't make dance music that's white people's music it's like it's it's actually not <laughs> like the actual music is for everybody but the there's no people yeah. aren't seeing the connection between the origins of it and where it is now and that's not by accident you know it's so that was... twisted too that like young black people today yeah i mean it's so twisted that it that it has has made such a circle through like mm. white people culture that even black young black people now don't yeah. even know yeah. and it's not it's not by and large young black people have always been involved in dance music here we have jungle we have drum and bass we have yeah. dubstep the lineage is all there and for me it in a british context it runs through sound system culture and mcs yeah. and mcs on the mic then you know that's it's an easy way to remove the color from it like you remove the mc that that is kind of spitting raga lyrics and and talking cockney and just being that hype man you take yeah. them away and it immediately kind of it could be anyone's music and that's fine but then people just kind of forgot what that that lineage is and so now we kind of just have the mcs over there doing grime and then people kind of think that dance music is for white people it's like it's not <laughs> i mean it's not it's, it's for everyone but these are the originators like just and and more to the point, London is such an amazing place to make music. Like, and this is no disrespect to anywhere else in the world. Like, it's just I grew up with like drum and bass coming from my brother's room, uh, Bros and Top of the Pops and Kylie Minogue coming from the front yeah. room, <laughs> and then reggae and you know some Jim Reeves and country music coming out of my mum's um, space. So you're just standing in the middle and you get all of this great music um, because we're British and all of that. Com like combines to tell the story but so often just the black bits are left out when mm -hmm. it's time to tell the story it's like why yeah. would you do that why, why yeah. would you i don't know like I've, yeah. I've i've wondered that many times and like what everything you just said now about london like i lived in london for a little bit for, yeah for that exact reason because mm -hmm. for me like uk music culture is just love it it's oh, life right. for me yeah um and you'll know when you went from being here, it's not really race specific. It's no. more like the area you come from. But, yeah. you know, people wouldn't deny that grime, which comes out of East London, had black boys and white boys and black girls and white girls making that music. Yeah. Um, but the, the, the essence of it, an MC spitting into a mic, is from Jamaican sound system culture. Mm -hmm. The rhythms and the tempos being what they are come from house and techno and jungle. Like, that's the journey you can't you can't discount that you know but yeah, yeah. true so i want to touch upon something um that it's something that i heard through a um radio dj his name is peter rosenberg i don't know if you know him um and yeah i saw an interview of him on hot 97 and it's something that i found very interesting and that has to do with um <clears throat> excuse me cultural appropriation and then specifically, like in this case, he was talking about, for example, why is it that, um, and he was talking about twerking, just to give an example. Mm -hmm. Why is it that white girls are being considered as quote unquote cute when they're twerking and black girls, black women, women of color 
are labeled as slutty or even ratchet. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Why is that? Why is that? Um, if I'm honest, like just my gut in reaction to that question mm -hmm. is um, I don't care for the question. To just being like, because um, it's not true. It's like a false premise. Right. Like, it, it, I think it's true that the media presents us a certain way and we're, black women are hypersexualized, and you know all of those things are true. And I think there are people that are more uh, engaged in that side of the conversation that could answer that question mm. on those terms far better than I ever could. Um, so I won't try to. But I know the reality, which is I'm a black girl who twerks and winds up herself, and I love it. And I'm none of those things. So um, yeah. if, and I have white friends who twerk and wind up themselves alongside me and we all go to carnival and we all get down. Like, so once you know the truth of a situation, you just, just be, just do it. Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, I don't, I, I, like I said, I'm solutions focused. I'm not, so I can't in, even quantify that conversation, that, that question, um, in terms of my lived experience right because i don't feel that way you know i and i and i understand cultural appropriation as opposed to appreciation because black people have we've had to try so hard to create our pockets of culture and be proud of them um so to watch people kind of denigrate that um and then elevate other people for doing it it's 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 a heartbreaking process but the point i'm making is the bit of the pocket of culture we've created for ourselves is wonderful it's mm -hmm. so great it's so beautiful it's so vibrant and it's ours and i i'm more concerned with protecting it um and if people want to copy it i don't think it's um a compliment just to copy it personally um unless you're referencing where you got it from and that's yeah. my whole point about the culture generally it's just reference things. Just be honest about history. Be honest about things' trajectory and how things come to be. And then I think the rest of us should get on with having a bloody good time because even with all of this oppression, with all of the racism, all of the systemic abuse and things that have happened over the years, and I'm, my family's from Jamaica, so my the history of slavery it is inescapable for me. It's the, it's the reason I'm this complexion. You know, it's 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 with me every day. But beyond that, I look at what we've done with all of those things. And I'm like, yes, black people, let's get it. Let's get it. So I, I just want to celebrate the best of what we have. And I think that's what we're over here doing. So when people chat shit about what it is we're actually doing, oh, they're hypersexualizing or they're, they're doing, they're chatting shit. Do you know what I mean? Like they're not, <laughs> they're mm -hmm. chatting shit. Like, and I understand how those stereotypes are harmful, but they are stereotypes and I'm over here twerking and winding up myself with my black friends and my white friends and I'm having a great fucking time with my life. And um, so I think that, that people engaging in the conversation on that level is important and they're doing an amazing job of doing that. And so I'll let them continue to do it. Um, and they're fighting for me on that side. Mm -hmm. That's the way I see it. And I'll fight for them on this side, which is I'm just going to continue to be a representation of all that is good and great about our culture and our cultural legacy, um, even in the face of the lies and the rubbish and the stereotypes. You yeah, know? that's very powerful. Sorry if I went. <laughs> no, no, thank you for sharing that. I think that's really powerful. It's really, love it, love it. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so I wanna move into an article that was published, um, I think it was in August this year. Um, and I want to give a shout out to Jumi Akinfenwa, who wrote it, She's also from the UK. Mm -hmm. um, and she wrote about um, the black female singers uncredited by the UK music industry. Mm. Um, and so what she talked about was like, um, you know, how vocals, what, what you already said, like vocalists and songwriters feature on some of the biggest hits, like still even today mm -hmm. in, in the UK music industry, but black women are often not credited and yeah, it leaves their solo career stunted and mm -hmm. it caused them also to lose out financially. Yeah. So it, it, like, it has huge repercussions. Now, what I found interesting in this article, and this is where I want to move into colorism is 
how one of the people in the article who preferred to remain anonymous um, said how she believed that because of colorism, so white or lighter skinned uh, singers, take space from darker skinned, uh, darker skinned singers. And there's like this clear pattern with a lot of dance music where black artists don't get as many opportunities or are just not mentioned like white or lighter skinned artists are. So I want to hear from you, like, do you have any thoughts on this? Do you have anything that you want to share on that? Um, the observation is true. It's correct. Um, yeah. It's happening still. Um, and I think any more on that situation as it currently stands, you'd have to ask the white people that choose to market the music in that way. To me, it kind of comes down to what they think will sell. And I'm just like, what is what you think will sell? What is that based on? And if, if all of your ideas about the world or what will sell or what constitutes good music or good marketing is kind of based in weird stereotypes and white, <laughs> white yeah, just white ideals um, yeah. or white ideas or, white, or you know, uh, racist values. Um, mm -hmm. That's why we get to this situation. So I think... Um, so far when we ask white execs why that happens it's like you know i just i know what will sell and there's a real laziness about that you know what i mean it's like well this worked last week and that record over there signed to xyz mm -hmm. uh sold a million copies so we're going to do the same thing they're all just following but there is someone somewhere making that decision i am not that person so <laughs> someone has to ask those execs and those guys um and girls or women or you yeah. know lab labels or that part of the industry um mm. why they make that decision time and time again when it's it's not based on talent it's not based on um yes yeah, i think it's just like their idea about what will sell and their idea what on what will sell is based in a really flawed system anyway mm. so because they just project onto their own yeah. world which is then in this case mostly white or lighter skins or yeah. whatever yeah. that will look like for them yeah, and then they just keep reproducing that over and over again because they've yeah. seen it sell before. Well, and it's really like a self-fulfilling prophecy, isn't exactly. it? If you keep if you keep marketing that and you're like, hey, yeah. it works, see, this yeah. works. It's like, can't you not yeah. see that this is a pattern that you created? And exactly. it just it doesn't make any sense. It yeah. doesn't make any sense. And I think the more people that just say it doesn't make any sense rather than just accepting it and asking those people that are making those decisions time and time again to explain themselves... Yeah, and they get away with not explaining themselves, and then then I get asked the question like I I can't answer it. I'm not I'm not making the, this. The decision is is stupid. It's it's flawed. It's not. And the proof is people love the sound of these women's voices. So what what about them? Would they not love if if you can appreciate that someone's effort and talent and skill and soul is inside a record? Like why wouldn't you want to see that person? Like we're, we're fans, you know, at the end of the day. So, um, and just as an example, we have a, a, you know, like X Factor or whatever. I think Britain's Got Talent. And we had mm -hmm. a singer called Suzanne Boyle, who was like an older lady. Yeah, I remember not, her. Yeah, oh my not God. glamorous, not not oh anything God. like like you would imagine a, a massive a superstar should be. And she's gone on to do phenomenally well. Mm -hmm. um, people will, if you give them good things they'll accept it in any package it comes in so th this idea that it has to be light or white and you know a certain height and a certain weight is or just young like, yeah or young even like that, that there's people like that and then yeah there's a lot more you know and, and it's, it's it's just kind of even sad that i have to draw for the the example of susan boyle in in a sea of you know amazing so talent yeah. yeah so many other talents yeah. like but the proof is in the pudding people love the story and they love the artist and you've just got to give them that yeah yeah so yeah i don't know <laughs> so yeah no it's definitely like i totally i think it's interesting that you brought up susan Boyle. i totally mm. forgot about that but yeah, yeah very interesting example um how do you feel that so what we just talked about like um you know, like it's it's the people making the decisions and deciding not to put forth like really amazing artists, like black artists, etc. Mm. Um, how do you feel that 
this affects the confidence of these artists like what does that like can you can you speak into that feeling i feel like for people who are listening it's important to to understand that i think it affects your self-esteem i mean i think it affects your self-esteem and limits your options like of what you think you can achieve or what you're capable of doing Mm. um if you if you're not reflected or you're not seen or you don't see examples of of success from people that look like you um i i can say that even for myself as as a woman when we signed this record deal um we were encouraged to find a producer to work on these records with us and so we we made this long list of producers and invariably they all ended up being men um, and we worked really hard to try and find some female dance music producers and then like the, the list started to grow a little bit with some females and then then we looked at the list again it was like oh these are all white guys um, and we're, we're specifically trying to talk about house and gospel and it doesn't exclude white men from producing any of these records which it didn't we've had some fabulous um, white male producers on the record um, but and my manager turned to me and said well what do you want this to sound like? And and I explained it to her and she's like, well, you produce it. And I was like, oh no, I, I'm I'm not a producer. I'm I'm a singer, I'm a manager, I'm all these other things that I've mm-hmm. had to be to, to, to get this project to this stage. And she's like, no, 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 what that is producing. So I had to go and understand what a producer was. And fundamentally it's what I've been doing for the last five years preceding that, which is producing this show Awesome. Picking, picking the samples, choosing the arrangements, working with the team to make it the way I want it, um, and giving it to audiences and selling out shows. Like I've been producing that, and now it was the time to put that onto a record. And fortunately, because of all the experience I've had over the years, I knew what that meant. I'm not scared of studios. I'm not yeah. afraid of talking to engineers. I'm not. <laughs> And so, yeah, so I produced the album and we went to specific people to give us what we needed and I put the thing together and, and that goes from the, from the top of managing the budget to signing off mixes and getting the edits right. Like it's a lot of work, but at the end of it, just from my manager saying to me, well, you're a producer, which I never saw myself as because I just didn't have many examples or I couldn't think of any at the time. I know more now. Yeah. Fortunately, and even finding out that Crystal Waters and Ultranate are producers in their own right. And then we, here we have Cooley G, who I absolutely love. Like well, there are female, black female producers making dance music and making, you know, dance records and house records. So um, now I'm one of them. <laughs> that, that's that's really mental. good. Yeah, it's a bit mental to me, but... Um, that's good, that's good. Yeah, it was out of necessity and also just realising mm. that we have the skills we have the you just have to believe that you can do something and I'm like and she was like who stopped any of these guys I'm sure they just woke up one day and said oh I want to be a producer or a DJ and then they got on with doing it is that not what you need to do and mm-hmm. I was like oh yeah maybe you make a point yeah but yeah. I do understand what you're saying about like if there's no examples really yeah. out yeah I, I do understand that it makes it a lot harder for you mm. to even be able to imagine what that could look like for you yeah. having that yeah i yeah. imagine that's really and so another question i want to ask you about this what would your advice be um to artists or i would say people in general like black females in general working in dance music mm-hmm. um on how to cope with prejudice against skin color and dance music like how what would what would your advice be to them um don't let it stop you yeah because you have a right to be there um your kind of your heritage is tied up in there and it's for you to kind of wrestle it back and remind people and forget people for a sec just remind yourself and know for yourself that there's space for you in there and it was there at its inception you know you're not carving out having to carve out a new space you're just saying get out the way guys this this bit's here right there there are black women right exactly right throughout this whole lineage Elbow your way through right the whole canon has amazing black women that have been in here and you you've kind of just ignored them and um the whole canon has gospel within it and it has great vocalists and it has amazing songwriters and you're just like 
I, I just feel like my job for the past seven, eight, nine years even has been just pulling those threads out and showing them to people like, oh, remember this, remember this, have you seen this before? And sometimes people are just like, oh, I didn't know that, or that's new to me. Most people are like, that's new to me. And um, that blows my mind a little bit still. Yeah. Um, but it is new to a lot of people because they've never heard it before. And people are open to real history. And that's that's the the crux of where we find ourselves, unfortunately. It's just like the world's been created, the world as we've been taught it anyway, has been created in one image. And it's just, it's at best only part of the truth. At worst, it's an absolute lie. Do you know what I mean? So. No, yeah, and most of us, like, and with us, I mean, white people, I mean, I'm not sure if I should speak for all white people, but I will anyway. Yeah. Um, most of us are just ignorant and yeah. are like, um, I'm sometimes surprised to see this myself, like within my close group of friends mm -hmm. or even like just on social media, how um, many white people have this really naive conversation around that and how they are very much um, ready and willing to not be held responsible for, yeah. for stuff. Like, for example, saying I, we had this conversation um, now because it was the 11th of November. And so mm. I don't know if you noticed, but Belgium and the Congo, really ugly history. Yeah. And so a lot of things, thanks to this year with everything that's happened, thanks to Black Lives Matter, a lot of things also resurfaced, resurfaced here in Belgium. Yeah. Um, and so there were things popping up on social media through, through Vice Belgium. And people who were saying like, oh yeah, we didn't notice. It was like about Congolese um, soldiers who also fought in the war. And that's something that we are not being taught mm -hmm. in school because that's a part of the history that they yeah. just leave out, right? Yeah, yeah. And so what they say, like so many people say like, oh yeah, but how can you blame us like this generation for like not knowing this? Because yeah, we weren't taught this in schools. And I'm like, then fucking Google stuff, yeah, like yeah. reread your history. Yeah. That's what I've been doing in the past year is looking for new sources of yeah. information that are non-Belgian because it's clear that they're leaving things out. But like, don't, don't, don't say like, oh, it's not my fault because I wasn't taught in school. That is yeah. so like naive and ignorant and like the example of privilege and yeah. You know, it's it sometimes it baffles me to see this, and I even see this in, in, in a lot of my friends still. And, and I'm like, no, wait, wait a minute, <laughs> let's I, let's I, talk about this. Yeah, it's a decision, isn't it? Because no one wants to yeah. feel stupid. Like people, like the biggest thing is like when you call someone ignorant, they still get really annoyed by it. Do you know, it what is mean? ignorant. It is ignorant, and you now have an opportunity to learn. Like yeah. as a black woman, do you think my history was taught to me in sec in school here? No flipping way. Everything, almost everything I know about my culture and my history, and even from a Jamaican perspective, which yeah. was a Commonwealth country, and you know, like we've had to find out ourselves. I had to, when I went on holiday with my family to Jamaica, I had to go and get Jamaican history books, mm -hmm. and even then, I had to find ones that weren't. Uh, British leaning, yeah. you know, and I had to seek out information for myself. Why does any why is anyone else exempt from that? And I think uh, white people in you know as and uh, you know I will gener generalize in this because you've had we've had the same education as you. And we've had to go away and do this work to feel this sense of ourselves, like to get a real sense of yourselves as white people. You got to go and do that work too. Like you can't just trust your education system or you know what your mm -hmm. government who is concern their main concern is nationalism and kind of uniting you guys against com common enemies and stuff and yeah. all that shit. like mm -hmm. you gotta yeah. go and do the work if you if you truly want enlightenment and you don't want to be stupid mm -hmm. or ignorant um then you have to go and do that work and and when someone says to you it's not your fault and now at this point with this year you've had like if at the end of it you, you your answer's still you know well it's not my fault it is your fault now, like d genuinely, like the resources are coming and they're there and there's more on the way and you have to help create them. So um, yeah, it, it's, it will start becoming everyone's fault because no one is blaming anyone yeah. for the, you know, what someone did a hundred years ago. You specifically did not cut that person's hand off. Or yeah, but that's not, that's not what anybody is saying. Exactly. Either, so so right. that's the thing, right. like, that's what I see in my country happening so many times with white people where they're like, especially like one of my best friends like if she's mm. listening i'm sorry but i'm going to tell the yeah. story but 
like her um, her mother was born in the Congo so her mother is like one of those people who had to flee the Congo and then came back yeah. to Belgium and so I can hear that my friend grew up with her mother mm. just by the things that she's saying and yeah. things that I really had to like ask her like where where did you get this idea like can you hear yourself talk mm. and can you like think about this and think about where you got this idea from because yeah. this is not this is not right like yeah. this is not the way you should think and she always gets a little defensive when i address that because she's like yeah but people always say that you know it's it's up to our generation to change this but we didn't do anything it's not our fault and i'm like well nobody is saying that it's it's the system and it's the fact that racism is a white people problem and it's mm -hmm. the fact that we i mean i consider that to be part of my biggest responsibility in this lifetime is to yeah. whenever i decide to have children or even like my godson and my goddaughter like i don't want to have to have them to be able to you know to have to solve this problem i yeah. want to start solving it yeah. and i want them to be able to grow up in a in a world and i know this sounds like really like idealistic but in a world where it's already better in yeah. that sense you know what if, i mean if like, that's idealistic like let it be idealistic like why not have that ideal to mm -hmm. have a world that is better i don't think like racism is going to go away tomorrow and no. those prejudices are going to be healed quickly Probably not, um, unfortunately yeah. and i think as well like even when you're talking about your friend there is an element of that where i think they she must know to some extent that there's comfort in where she is right now yeah. and so you're you're trying to rock people out of their comfort mm. um but in order for a system to stay the way it is there has to be people benefiting from it so i can't accept that people don't know that they're benefiting from it that they're getting these privileges yeah. um uh and i can accept that they just might not want to give them up and i you know like um and that's that's the biggest reason for me i don't i think all of the other stuff about oh it's not our fault it's all deflection isn't it really because it's just I, like there's, there's so, an yeah. awareness of the privilege um, at this point. Like even if like people have been talking about white privilege for the last five six years, it's been in the lexicon. Like, but then if, if in the last year, oh, did I cut out? Sorry, in no, the last year so, specifically, yeah. the year we've yeah. had, um, if you're still denying that is a real thing, it's willful and it's ignorant. And let's yeah. just be honest. Like you, yeah, there's enough resources for you to just read a thing very quickly read a book. and then make read a book i don't know read an article talk to Something. your friends talk to lee <laughs> you know, like there's people that know and yeah. um no i, think I don't think it's going to be easy yeah. to no, it's not, but like i feel like i think you hit on something really important when you said you know you're just yeah what for example i see that when i talk to my friends it's just it's not comfortable for them mm -hmm. they don't want that but that's the thing like but we, growth doesn't get, happen in comfort. It doesn't. Yeah, and we get to say that yeah. because we're whites, and yeah. that's the thing that they usually don't want to admit. We yeah. get to say like, "Ooh, this is oh, this is uncomfortable. I'll just yeah. walk away." Yeah. But black people don't get to say that. Yeah. Black people Unco don't uncomfortability get to, to us like it could mean death under yeah. certain circumstances. So yeah, yeah we're but it, it is the way it is, and um, mm -hmm. I hope that more people will just continue to learn. And it's hard it just gets harder and harder to refute yeah and what you said about continue to learn like i think the emphasis has to be on continue like this should be like a lifelong commitment yeah oh yeah so not yeah. just be like i'll donate once to black lives matter or yeah. i'll buy this like anti-racist book yeah and i'm i'm cool it's yeah. not like helping your local dark shelter with a little and, bit of food. and i keep learning i i've learned so much this year as a black yeah. woman there, there's no the learning doesn't stop for anybody so mm -hmm. for any human being that wants to be part of civil society to suggest that their learning has come to an end because they've decided it has like who the fuck are you man like you don't even deserve peace like you're asking for a peaceful system what have you done to contribute to yeah. that peace so just just shut up or just go <laughs> do you know what i mean just go over there and um be that because it, we're not going to get rid of it um having arguments with those people we'll get rid of it by um being diligent and and continuing to learn yeah and doing it together with people yeah. who are in the same boat right like definitely their noses in the same direction definitely definitely yeah
and it will it just lead to better outcomes for everyone in the long run 100% because yeah. we're all here together mm-hmm. um, and if you've read any of my stuff like our thing is really we are one yeah house gospel choir because we're based in London um, is that like we have black people we have white people we have Asian people we have straight people we have gay people we have non-identifying people we have like people that are still figuring things out and we're all in the same space yeah like so that we are actually actually proof that we're all meant to share space mm-hmm. and um and I think the as long as you have something to hold you together in a way and um yeah just uh, you know just a space to keep growing and keep learning and we don't always get on we don't always agree but fundamentally we're there to do something bigger than ourselves and that's okay too like oh yeah 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 it's how we grow it's how we grow i've had some really challenging members um from time to time over the last seven years um i can imagine really good conversations and learning curves for myself i can imagine Um, (laughs) and they just help they serve to strengthen everything you know um and those are around questions about race and sexuality and gender and, you know, sexism. All those things come up for us too. But if you're committed to being in a place together, like we are, if we can just commit to being in these countries together and on this earth together, we're going to work through these things. You know? Yeah. And just really listen to each other. Right? I feel. Yeah. Really just listen and ask questions and yeah. don't be so, like, don't be such a, like, pussy about, yeah having the conversation yeah. i feel yeah. you know like you know, not, it's not the, that the conversation isn't going to kill you yeah exactly it might make you cry it might make you feel sad but you'll be fine after yeah and and beyond that like white people that are dealing with this they still have the choice afterwards to either do something about it or not because we know the system as it exists benefits white people so you don't even have to change yeah. necessarily just have the conversation and see what happens yeah um, i agree I agree. I definitely agree. And that's definitely something I want to like specifically say to any white person out there who's listening to just really just keep listening and keep asking questions and keep questioning things like, is this true? Is this, where is this coming from? Yeah. Like this is really a simple question that you can ask yourself whenever you see or hear discrimination happening. Like, you know, ideally you do something about it, but at the very least, I hope they will just keep questioning things and get yes. better at it. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So to round up, mm-hmm. um, one last question. When was the last time you did something for the first time? Ooh. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> How, uh, in what context? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Lockdown has been long and hard, right? <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> um, you could choose whatever you want to share. <laughs> oh my gosh. The first time, the last time I did something for the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the 23rd of October, just gone, I put out an album. <laughs> on Island right. for the first oh time. Oh my God, congratulations. <laughs> you don't know what other thing I was thinking about there. I was like, whoa, 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 what am I going to say? Um, I, but... th- I think I have an idea, but maybe it's just <laughs> me and my dirty mind. I don't know. <laughs> like I said, lockdown has been long and hard. Um, yeah, no, we put out an album and it's our first one as House Gospel Choir and I'm very proud of it. Awesome. And it's, it's literally an hour and six minutes of joy. So if you're having like a shitty day or a shitty moment like just pick a song at random or if you do have an hour and six minutes just listen through the whole thing um and hopefully it will help you feel a bit better for a time it's called required um because i could feel like this this feeling is required you know like with everything else going on you still should feel have moments of joy and peace and happiness and if you've got a song or a person or something that makes you feel that then you should go for it and um so hopefully this this album helps with that that's, awesome. that, that's their vision <laughs> awesome that's i think that's a lovely note to to end on and to everybody out there go purchase it and support yes. them <laughs> thank you especially thank you, thank you. especially this year i think yeah it's, yeah it's been hard so thank you so much natalie for thank you so much Aline. we really appreciate no, it so do i so do i really <laughs> i was very nervous but made it easy. Me too. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you. Thank you.